0: Welcome to the Target Athletics Podcast. Joshua Rimple here with Cynthia Claussen today. And this is our first guest outside of um, coaches and Dane and myself. So, welcome, Cynthia. Thank you. <laughs> and so, we're kind of wrapping up our um, couple podcasts on nutrition today. So, wanted to bring in somebody who has a lot of experience over the years working. Uh, with people doing that and so we'll just kind of start off with a little bit of your background and what brought you to the valley.
1: Well what brought us to the valley was skiing Um, but at the time it is kind of a funny story so I'll I'll tell it really quickly. Uh, We were both my husband at the time and I were working in the Seattle area and I came home one night and I was I had to drive through traffic and I, I looked at him and I said I mean we had these nice Long-term jobs and benefits. We bought a house we were, like, settled in. And I was like, I want to move. I'm all done with this place. Like, I really don't want to live in the city anymore. And uh, he thought I was totally crazy. So I didn't talk about it again. And then, like, six months later, he came home and said he was ready. <laughs> and so we, that spring break, we were both teachers. We we went to check out f- affordable, quote-unquote, ski towns. <laughs> and there were, like, two or three of them. And, and that's how we landed here in Driggs. Um, so we, I quit my full-time job and, and crossed my fingers.
0: What well, what were some <laughs> of the other places that you were looking at?
1: We looked at Kellogg. Okay. Uh, and we looked at McCall. McCall was oh. really the other.
0: So it kind of just set on Idaho.
1: Yeah, I mean, Idaho was still affordable as far as yeah. we could tell.
0: Right. Yeah. And how long ago was it?
1: That was, it'll be 16 years this summer.
0: Oh, wow.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I would imagine Silver Mountain... Which is the ski resort up in Kellogg? I don't know the one we call.
1: Uh, Well, there's Brundage and there's Tamarack now.
0: Okay. Yeah. But probably similar to what we're looking at now in Drake's with just uh, getting busy. Growth, yeah. Growth, yeah. For sure. (laughs) Awesome. And having looked back, you're. No. Yeah. I'm not going anywhere. (laughs) Yeah. Nice. What about, um, so how, what kind of brought you into the world of nutrition? Is this something you've kind of always been interested in?
1: It is always something I've been interested in. I, uh, um, I was telling Josh earlier, I, um, in school, was a biology major, but with a health like, concentration until the very end of my degree, when I changed my mind for like the umpteenth time. But so I did a lot of health classes um, up to that point. And, uh, um, and then I ended up with celiac disease. So then I really started learning a bunch about how to heal myself. So it's hard to find somebody to help me with that, um, and I've been teaching nutrition now for almost almost twenty years. So, um, so yeah, those are the things that kind of brought it to the forefront for me.
0: Right, and what what exactly is celiac? I mean, that's kind of an extreme version of like a gluten intolerance.
1: Um, you can say that. However, <laughs> it's different. Uh, Only in that it's an autoimmune disease. Uh And so, like, intolerances or sensitivities or allergies are like a different, it's a different immune response. That's all. Mm -hmm. And um, autoimmune disease is like your immune system attacks your own body. That's not happening with an allergy. So in celiac, your body makes these antibodies that we're hearing about so much with COVID. Like we're makes these antibodies that actually shear off the cells of the small intestine so you can't absorb nutrients. Okay. Yeah. So you get all kinds of nutrient deficiencies. Like, like I was losing hair. I was super anemic. I had really low vitamin D. And now I have really low bone density
0: because I just wasn't
1: absorbing for all these years and
0: didn't know it. Oh, interesting. Yeah. How do you, I mean, what was, um, like when you were figuring out that you had these issues, what were some of the things that were helping you kind of figure out where to go?
1: It was hard to find one doctor or health provider that was helpful. Like, I just, I went to so many different people, Western naturopath. I don't, even I don't honestly remember everything, but it took several years to get a diagnosis. Right.
0: How long ago was it that you kind of figured this out?
1: I think it was about 12 years ago.
0: Okay. So it was still kind of early in like the... Yes. The movement, if you will. Yes. <laughs>
1: yeah. Yep.
0: Yeah. Because I think we've talked about it before just in the gym, but my mom um, had yeah. IBS or has, right? And now she's kind of celiac as well. Mm-hmm. But she, I mean, back in like 19 because I know she kind of was figuring this out as like we were being born, the, the, us kids, and um, she just knew that like if she had anything citrusy like pineapple, mm-hmm. she was out for like three or four days, like mm-hmm. in really severe pain, Ugh. and just had no idea, same thing, was trying to figure out what was going on, and just yeah. ended up kind of in this process of elimination over the years, mm-hmm. all right, this hurts, this doesn't hurt, Right. you know, and then... Yeah, as kind of the awareness was coming about, it was just much easier to have this yeah. other kind of guidelines to follow, right. right? Instead of just trial and error, which is probably pretty miserable.
1: It's miserable because it's um, because when you have celiac and your intestine slowly gets sick, like you become allergic to all these other things beside gluten. So, like citrus, which is right. a really weird thing to be allergic to, right? Um, But, you know, I was allergic to like a long, long list of things at the very beginning. And then probably five or six or seven years into not eating gluten, I was slowly able to add most other things back in. Never gluten. That makes me almost hospitalized. But everything else I can can add back in. So as your gut heals, that's the upside.
0: Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) There's an upside.
1: (laughs) Yeah.
0: So going through this, um, and then how long, I mean, was it a couple of years of once you were kind of like, okay, I know something's not right. Um,
1: it probably took me three years to get a diagnosis, but by the time, like at the beginning, when I was as sick as I was going to be, um, well, it was funny. I went to the doctor cause I had slipped a disc in my neck. I went to the hospital here and, um, and I had gone to the hospital so many times they'd taken so much blood and they were trying to figure it out and... And they couldn't. They didn't. And uh, I, I went to the clinic here and I asked the guy. I'm like, all I want is a script for PT t- today. And he, he's like, you don't look good. I'm like, I know. <laughs> I was so trying to be like not frustrated because I was in so much pain from my neck. I was like, I don't want to talk about this today. Like, you don't think I look good? Read that huge stack of notes you have on me. Like, I can't. And uh, he <laughs> was like super calm, and I was not. And he was like, I just want to do some more blood work. I'm like. Do you see all the blood work in there like I was so frustrated and he's like I see it <laughs> Anyway, so he did this different workup. He figured it out. He was this, the coolest guy Eric Johnson was his name He was huh? a ER doc on Everest. Oh, and he wow. was only here for a short time. I swear I could hug that guy. He's the reason I finally figured it out uh, interesting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah
0: And then from there it was you were able to kind of go through a limit or uh, get rid of some food slowly start healing the gut and work your way that way.
1: Yep. And at the beginning um, it was like I knew I was getting incrementally better slowly over time but at the beginning I was tossing more and more and more foods out
0: right.
1: <laughs> and I didn't really feel better until I got rid of all grain out of my diet. And then that was like a turning point. You know some people will say as soon as you get rid of gluten you feel better.
0: Right.
1: I think if you get really sick you don't until. Right. Like it took me a solid five or six years to be like oh, I feel like I have energy and normal
0: again so from that experience is that like is that something you enjoy kind of working with other people with other clients
1: it's funny when I work with clients who have food allergies I'm like like I know how to take someone through an elimination diet Mm -hmm. and sometimes it's super simple like it's one thing that's bugging them and we can figure it out right away um, but sometimes it's really confusing. And for most people, I think it's really confusing. And for those people, I'm like, just get a blood test done. Like, this elimination thing will be much more frustrating than just going, paying the money, getting a blood test, and, and having a list of a very clear
0: right. list. Are those lists, I have, I mean, I don't know much about, I've never done the blood work thing myself, but I've heard that those are can be misleading too. Have you had any mm-hmm. experience with that?
1: Yeah, <laughs> for sure. Okay, so, well, there's different blood tests. If you get an IgE antibody uh-huh. test, that's an anaphylactic reaction. So I'm not anaphylactically allergic to gluten even. And
0: that would be like what could kill you? That's like, like right. your th- throat airways. and tongue are sl- yeah, right. swelling and okay. you're your
1: dying. You, you need an EpiPen.
0: So those are not, no bueno. No bueno. Yeah. <laughs> Peanut allergy kind of thing. Right.
1: Yeah. Uh, but these slow, chronic, subtle reactions to food that you can't really figure out because it was something you ate four days ago or maybe yesterday or maybe two hours ago, but you don't really know, like that's a different antibody. Uh, So it's called an IgG food sensitivity test. Mm -hmm. And there's different ones. Like one will test for like a hundred foods. One will test for like four or 500 foods. Um, And you get a pretty nice picture of what you can do. There's like, when you get the report, it's like green light foods, uh, yellow, orange, and red light foods. Um, and as you start healing your gut if you keep getting those tests done it's cool to watch things kind of fade back toward green.
0: Right. How do they know like how does it actually work that it gives you can give you like a green, yellow, and red?
1: Mm. I don't know what they do once they take your blood how they test each one of those foods. I'm imagining they take a protein from each one of those foods. Like for gluten it would be a gluten is a protein. And if you I'm totally, ma- I'm just logicking this out here. Yeah, yeah. You take you take the protein out of the food and expose it to your blood. And if there was a coagulation, that means the blood has an antibody for that protein. And it- you can see it coagulate. It's kind of like uh, a blood typing test.
0: Okay. Yeah. So I, get- I think that kind of answered at least what I was getting at. Okay. So they actually just take your blood and then they expose that yes. to a bunch of... Yes, three yes. things that they have that's right. labeled like white bread totally okay yes that makes sense getting way more technical yeah <laughs> <laughs> no I like that too but I was just trying to figure it out because I'm like it's not like you have to eat all these hundred foods before you go get your no. blood drawn right obviously exactly or they don't give you like a vial of <laughs> a bunch of like yeah.
1: and see if you yeah explode. blended no. <laughs> liquid of food.
0: yeah okay that makes more sense yeah <laughs> nice yeah I've never done it um would yeah. probably be good to do yeah. Honestly, but it's,
1: I think everyone probably would get some information out of something like that.
0: Yeah, I've done kind of multiple a little like mini trial elimination things over the years yeah. um, and noticed I feel better off of some food and worse on others, but no, yeah. it's not ever bad enough to like really make me do much about it.
1: Yep, that's <laughs> so, the thing.
0: <laughs> yeah, I'm kind of in a hard spot because I'm like, again, with mom, it's like. Oh no! It makes complete sense to really, truly avoid these things because so, it puts her down, right? And feels terrible. Where I'm like, yeah, yeah, I yeah. don't feel great, but I don't feel terrible, right? Yeah. So I I, I'm not it. saying it's worthwhile that that would make the difference, but
1: I think it's mo- it's motivation, you yeah. know. Like I go to all kinds of parties and I don't eat a things because most things will have gluten in them, and so unless someone can tell me they made it and they know, um, because. I passed out on a plane last time I ate gluten. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, which is super embarrassing. Like it's like I knew why. Everyone thought I was dying, and I was so embarrassed. But uh, <laughs> um, yeah, it's motivation. I just had a client ask me yesterday, actually, like, uh, um, what are things I was working on, uh, and I was like, well, it's really never-ish f- food for me because I have strong motivation to stay away from <laughs> all these things I can't eat because I it really right. is a big deal. Yeah. Right.
0: So what else, um, do you, as far as kind of back to that first question, is there ideal, do you kind of tend to lead toward that person who needs kind of the more serious nutritional help? Or do you like kind of any spectrum of client as far as like from a performance, maybe a weight loss or just like, I want to feel better, but I don't really have any body composition goals or athletic goals kind of thing.
1: Um, I take almost everyone that comes my way, and they, they have been all those categories you just described, um, but my favorite people to work with um, have been athletes over time, just because athletes seem to be like, you tell them to do something, they do it, right. and when you do something, like without gray area, you see the result, yeah. and that's exciting for everybody, you know, yeah. and um, you know, like young, I've coached a couple um, high school mountain bike athletes, and yeah. Um, who were feeling sluggish and slow and I knew they weren't really because I'd seen them ride and I was like Yeah, we can we'll fix this right up and like and sure enough like so one young woman had a really great season And it was just super fun to watch that happen, right, you know But I coach a lot of people who want to lose weight a lot of people with chronic problems that doctors have trouble Spending enough time with people on like PCOS or diabetes or
0: what's PCOS?
1: Uh, polycystic ovarian syndrome What's that? Yeah uh-huh. It's, <laughs> it is um, when your ovaries have these, like cysts on them, so your hormone levels aren't great. And a lot of times in young women, it decreases fertility. And so they'll go looking for help. And what a doctor will say is, lose weight. Right. And so then they're like, great, I've been trying to lose weight my whole life.
0: Yeah.
1: I don't know. You know, And it's harder when there's like some kind of metabolic hang-up like that Yes, um, to figure it out on your own.
0: Yeah. And with that, like, do you, how do you kind of go about restarting? Like, if you were to say, let's say somebody who's a little bit overweight, right? Um, mm-hmm. They don't maybe have that kind of metabolic flexibility, mm-hmm. right? That an athlete mm-hmm. could potentially have. Yep. Um, what do you kind of look toward to restarting that Yeah, metabolism?
1: Yep. So I always, <laughs> I always... Well, can I just, um, like, the way I look at it when I'm trying to help someone lose weight, Mm -hmm. right, which is most people that I work with, is that most people that are trying to lose weight are feeling like they're kind of like in a fight with their body, right? Like, Mm -hmm. they're battling it. Their body's telling them they're craving sugar, or they're super hungry, or they wake up in the middle of the night hungry, whatever it is. And the messages that their body is telling them are kind of like false messages, You know, like if you're craving sugar, there's lots of you know scientific reasons that you could be craving sugar, but you probably don't need the calories. You don't need to sit and eat a bunch of sugar, and so it's the interpretation of that message. And so I, what I like to say and do with people is like break up the fight, like work with your body, try to get rid of the false messages so that, and then start listening better. So, um, and so then you feel like you're working with your body. To reach your goal. Instead of like. I got to follow these rules. To reach my goal. And it sucks every day. Like it's super hard. Every day. Um, and I. Like every time I get hungry. I get stressed. Like oh my god I'm hungry. And I'm not supposed to eat. For another three hours. Or I already had all my calories for the day. And I'm hungry. You know. Right. And um, it's the. You know. every When you set your brain up like that. You're in a losing battle right away. Which is so much of what you guys have already said. In these podcasts. You know. It's like. You got to change habits. You got to kind of like ease your way into it. And when you get like you feel when your brain feels like you're being deprived, then you're going to it's a losing battle.
0: Yeah, oh, definitely. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, how do you like what do you do you have any go to ways of kind of interrupting that signal? Yeah.
1: yeah. So um, two pieces of I use two main pieces of science mm-hmm. and then um, I step people through. Um, like, a weekly or biweekly process to, to, like, reset those false messages that are coming in. So one piece of science that I think everyone should know is that blood sugar needs to be balanced, right? Mm-hmm. So, like, blood sugar has a range of normal. How much sugar in your blood it can't be too low and it can't be too high. It's like Goldilocks has got to be just right. And, um, and so if you ate too much sugar for breakfast and your blood sugar went high, it is actually an emergency for your body because if you're high for too long, you know, you get nerve damage. Like, um, I mean, this is why diabetics end up in the hospital with Mm -hmm. all kinds of problems. So, um, so your body has a natural way to fix that. It releases a hormone. I'm sure we've all heard of called insulin and insulin acts as like, it opens what, this is how I describe it to my students. It opens doors on cell membranes. Mm -hmm. So a cell is closed to absorbing sugar unless there's insulin, in the blood. So insulin is released, these cell doors open, and most of those cells are either your heart muscle, your skeletal muscle, or your fat cells. So those doors will open and um, the extra sugar in the blood, your body grabs it and shoves it into those cells and brings blood sugar back down. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, Okay. I like it.
1: Okay, and usually we um, secrete too much insulin. And so blood sugar doesn't just go back to normal. It goes low. Man. And then when we're low, we feel, could feel a host of ways. We could feel tired and sluggish. We might need to take a nap. We could feel irritated and grumpy. We could crave sugar. Usually we do. We crave sugar. So there's a false message, right? I'm feeling like I'm craving sugar, even though I've had plenty of calories for the day. That's a really strong craving when your blood sugar is low. I felt it. Yeah. Right? We, I think we all have. <laughs> yeah. And uh, and so let's say you eat it, eat sugar, and your blood sugar goes back up. You secrete insulin. Your body grabs all that extra sugar, shoves it into cells and stores it. Blood sugar goes low. You crave sugar. You eat some more. Blood sugar goes high. Insulin is secreted. You store more.
0: Right.
1: So it's like um, your cells can do three things with sugar when, when it enters. They can use it right away. Like if you're riding your bike or on your dirt bike or whatever, yeah. cells are hungry, they're going to burn it. Cells can store it as glycogen, so you like that glycogen is what you can burn in the future, mm-hmm. or you store it as fat. So um, so that's like the one piece of science I feel like we should all kind of have a grap- grasp on if we're trying to lose weight. Yeah, no,
0: I think that was great. Um, I haven't heard it described that way, but it makes it really easy. And <clears throat> I think, too, right? I mean, the most readily place it usually typically gets stored as fat cells and especially if you're if you're not fairly active
1: right absolutely
0: right so the more sedentary you are the more likely it's going to be stored as fat than if you're the more active you are the more your body might actually be using it for fuel or storing it in the glycogen and and burning it that way in a, f- in a future state exactly right Yep. exactly all right what's the second one
1: okay the second one is um there's two states your body's in it's either in a fed state or a post-fed state so you eat a meal and you're in what we call the fed state for two to three hours or however long your body takes to digest that meal. Mm. And simple, right? So during that fed state, you have the three macronutrients running around in your blood. You have protein, you have fat, and you have carbohydrates in your bloods on tap. So any cell that needs any of that has it, right? And that's awesome because you can build build body with the protein, you know, Um, When I say build body, I mean like hair, nails, um, muscle, tendon, ligaments. This is all protein. Structure Structure is all protein. Um, Carbohydrate, if you need energy, and fat is so important. But I I won't describe it all right here, right now. Um, But anyway, it's on hand, and if you need it, it's right there. So great. So then um, after a few hours, your body's had a chance to either use it or clear it, like put it into storage wherever it needs to be stored. And then at that point, when you don't have those nutrients in your blood, you're in the post-fed state. Mm-hmm. Easy enough. So during the post-fed state, you have to pull all that stuff back out of storage to function. If you want to build protein, you have to pull amino acids back out of wherever they've been stored. If you want energy, you got to pull you got to pull glucose out of glycogen stores, right? So you're pulling things out of storage during the post-fed state. So there's this big debate about whether three meals a day or six meals a day is what you should do, right? Right. And they're in like, in their science to prove both ways, well, sure, right? So if you are a, um, like I have two really skinny green bean boys, like they're just all legs and arms and they're super active, they need to eat every three hours. So they never hit that post-fed state where they're trying to like use stored stuff because they don't have anything stored and they're, and they're trying to grow. Right. So, like, any athlete that's trying to mass needs to never get into a post-fed state because you're just wasting, you're pulling stuff out. Right. If you're trying to lose weight, you want to put yourself into a post-fed state where you're using storage material. Right. Simple. Right? right. So, yeah, three meals a day for some people, six meals a day for others. Yeah. I, there's science behind both, right. both places. Yeah.
0: What about, like, your intermittent fasting type? Um, all that stuff because I mean it's such a crazy debate right I mean and you'll find almost well probably real science behind all of it it's just maybe cherry picked a little here and there and um, everybody seems to be able to prove their point on it but it is fascinating because Mm -hmm. I um, from the idea of letting your so if you're eating six meals a day you're always having something in your system yeah whereas if you eat you know maybe two meals a day you're giving your Digestive system kind of a rest. Yep. I don't know. Is there anything you think to that?
1: Yeah, I've read all, I've read many different sides of this. Yeah. I'm sure I haven't read it all. Uh, and I see the points on all the sides. The But when I work with people who are trying to lose weight and you give them a 18 hour fast, you're setting off, I feel like I am setting off their brain to feel like they're being deprived. Right. And if you're deprived too long, most of us are going to eat anything that's not nailed down and probably the wrong stuff. Like, Yeah, so um, I like a 12-hour fast, like just trying to move dinner a little earlier up Mm -hmm. into the evening. And and I like people to eat almost right when they wake up to get your metabolism started. Uh, Yeah, that's what I tell uh, clients to do. But I know some people, like some doctors will give a 15 or an 18-hour fast. Um, because you're putting yourself in that post-fed state. You're using stored. Right.
0: Um,
1: however, I also think you're slowing your metabolism down because um, your body has all, this, all these years of history behind it that where it's learned that in like the winter, right, where we're just trying to make it to the spring again. Right. And so our calorie intake is lower and our metabolism slows down. So that lower calorie load can um, be enough to make it to the spring. So we have that metabolic flexibility on in our genetics, and so if we don't eat, our metabolism slows down. That makes it harder to lose weight in the end.
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah. I tried uh, intermittent fasting a couple times, but the first time I ever did, I was still living in Jackson. I made it like two days of eating what I would call quality food. Yeah. Before I like ended up at like the McDonald's drive-through right. at four thirty and just bought like thirty dollars worth of food. Uh-huh.
1: <laughs> That's a lot. I know, <laughs> yeah, I know. It's so bad. I'm like,
0: this doesn't work at all. <laughs> no, no.
1: So. Yeah. A part, I feel like dieting is um half, 50% at least, is helping your brain just feel like you're at ease.
0: Right. Yeah. Right. And then it can be so kind of individual for people to just figuring out what works and what doesn't. For sure. Yeah. I think that's kind of, too, what's left out of these conversations sometimes because um, some people can find a program or follow a template very easily mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. but having somebody to talk to because there's always that part two where you, you start something new and you're fired up for like a week mm-hmm. and it's super easy and you're like oh, I could do this forever right. and then like week two hits and you haven't really seen any results yeah. yet and you're still a little ways away from seeing them yeah. and the, the, the newness starts to fade the motivation starts to lag a little bit and that's, like, when it becomes really hard to stick stick to something.
1: I loved your piece of advice last week about having accountability. Or whenever, two weeks ago, whenever, your last podcast. One of your tips was to have accountability, right?
0: Yeah, I think so.
1: Um,
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm sure it was in there. I think so, it was really. in there. Yeah, we've
1: talked about it. But, yeah, because uh, if you're, you know, anything in isolation is hard, I think.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, that and the other factors surrounding your living situation can also make food very challenging. Yeah. I mean, I have, uh, one person that also, and like we can feed off each other either way. Um, but I can only imagine if there was more, you know, a family or kids too, like, Mm -hmm. um, because not everybody's always willing to sacrifice on the food front, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: you know? So that's another hurdle for sure
1: and when people have different nutritional statuses and they're trying, right. you're trying to do the right thing by everybody it, gets, it can get
0: complicated yeah. yeah so do you when you do talk nutrition do you kind of go because I know in our last couple podcasts at least um, we've kind of talked about the macros as being mm-hmm. you know uh, not necessarily fully paramount but definitely present in the conversation of like calories in calories out Yeah. Um, is that something you kind of go with two, or do you more of like um um quality instead of like don't worry about necessarily how much you're eating um more quality of food or do you kind of do a both approach or yeah i do both
1: i do both so um so what i tell clients is one you know one of the weeks up front um right you know when we start usually is Um, one the only goal for that week is to eat fiber fat good fat and a lean protein at every meal so fiber would be a good carbohydrate Mm. that'd be fruits vegetables beans whole grains Um, and the reason a good carbohydrate is a good carbohydrate is because when you eat it and it goes into your small intestine and fiber doesn't get digested so any sugar that you had with that fiber um, fiber acts as almost like well it is, it's like a physical barrier for that sugar to be absorbed through the cells and into your blood. So all that sugar you eat in that meal is going to get absorbed. But when there's fiber blocking its uptake, you get this long, slow, steady release of sugar into your blood, keeping your blood sugar like Goldilocks Mm -hmm. through time. But if you don't have fiber, all the sugar um, gets absorbed, you know, all at once. You get a spike in blood sugar and then you take all that and store it. So fiber in every meal Um, and 14 grams of fiber per thousand calories you eat a day is the recommendation, Okay. which is interesting to me because the average person in the U.S. today eats four grams of fiber a day. That's it? Uh Uh-huh. And historically, people, like when we were like hunting and gathering, 150 grams of fiber a day. Wow. So like we could tolerate a lot of fiber. Right. I kind of have a feeling, I mean, my total guess at this is... um, 14 grams per 1,000 calories is like the bare minimum we need right. <laughs> to digest our food as well. Yeah.
0: I've never actually tracked fiber intake.
1: When I can't figure out what's going on with a client, I ask them to keep a fiber journal. Huh. Because then I, yeah. Because any food with fiber is going to be good for you. Right. Yeah. So fiber, uh, a good fat. Um, so good fats, fish, avocado, nuts, seeds, cooking oils not uh, vegetable oils like you guys already talked about.
0: Right. What about the seeds oil thing? Have you yeah. <coughs> dwelled into that at all?
1: Yes. I. Um,
0: not to derail you too no, much. No, it's
1: fine. I. Uh, well, it's, canola oil is the thing that I've really read a lot about because it is a GMOed plant. Rapeseed is not a normal... Rapeseed is the plant canola oil is made from, and it is a GMO. Like we, It doesn't occur naturally. So... I had questions about that, Um, and I finally settled on if I'm going to buy canola oil, I'll buy it organically, organic canola, um, only and and uh, but I hardly ever do that anyway.
0: Right. Yeah, because we, as we've been, as we kind of stated before, but as we've been paying attention, they're in everything.
1: Everything. I mean,
0: primal like Primal Kitchen brand, which is Mm -hmm. the Mark Sisson. Oh, okay. um, So the Mark's Daily Apple. I don't know if you've ever heard of his blog, but he's a big paleo carnivore advocate, kind of. Ish. Okay. Um, but he's kind of created his own dressings and like kind of food along that line.
1: We've talked about this. Yes. Yeah. That
0: are mm-hmm. really, they're all avocado oil, I think. Okay. And kind of that was a big push for him mm-hmm. was trying to find things without the seed oils. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Which was interesting. But It's yeah. hard to
1: find a salad dressing without canola or seed oil in it. Yeah. I have to make my own if I'm really um, wanting to do that. Yeah. Yeah. So that's good to know. They're out there,
0: yeah. And they're not bad. good. I mean, obviously they're a little bit more expensive than yep. some of the other stuff, but
1: yeah. Okay, so fiber, a good fat, yep. and then a lean protein. So you know, trying to cut down on saturated and saturated fats in your protein.
0: Man, right. now what do you what do you kind of classify as lean uh, lean proteins?
1: Yeah, fish and poultry are really.
0: even though food. fish is actually it's heavy on the fat side right
1: but it's good fat yes right it's yeah. omega-3 fatty acids which none of us get enough of yeah. and most of us if we're eating those seed oils those are heavy on omega-6 mm-hmm. fatty acids and the historically the ratio between omega-6 and omega-3 in our body is I'm not gonna get this right but it's either like two to one or three to one it's something like that Um and in today's diet, it's like a thousand to one or something mm-hmm. like we eat way more omega sixes because of all these seed oils that are in everything and we don't eat enough omega three. Um, and that is one thing we look at when there's inflammation going on.
0: Right. And part of that, right, is because basically you could eat like, for instance, a salad dressing for four tablespoons, who puts two tablespoons salad dressing right. on anything, Plus, right? So four to six. Yeah. Um, and that's could be like eating a box full of sunflower seed oil right. or sorry, sunflower seeds to yes. get the same amount of oil that you have now ingested in mm-hmm. just your salad dressing mm-hmm. at one meal. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of the idea, I think.
1: Yeah. It's concentrated. Right.
0: And yeah. so, yeah, the ratio is very, very far off.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So one thing for inflammation is to bring down your omega-6s and pump up your omega-3s. Right.
0: Mm-hmm. Which is hard to do.
1: It is hard to do. Yeah. Just but, buy, sa- buy salmon. Buy, buy just salmon. Just keep buying it. <laughs>
0: yeah. Um, what about supplementing with, like, mm-hmm. fish oil? Yeah. Great. Yeah.
1: Just make sure it doesn't go rancid. Right.
0: I've heard yeah. that. But how do you know?
1: Nah, yeah, it's hard to know. <laughs> I think, you know, like, the best thing you can do is buy um, omega-3 out of the refrigerator and keep it in your refrigerator. Like, that's the best. Right. Um. But I, I know that people are buying what I've seen literature on as being quality um, capsules off the shelf, not in the fridge. I don't know how you know,
0: you know right. it's going well. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, what do you think some of the biggest obstacles are of people trying to make some changes?
1: Okay, so two things come to mind. One is just old habits, you know. The longer someone has been doing something, the longer it's going to take to undo that yeah. particular habit, whatever it is. And, and your podcast on tiny changes, um, was I, I thought it was great. Like um, something I say to clients is just do one tiny, tiny little thing different. Don't work on five things, just one thing different until it's easy and you don't have to think about it anymore. It's just something you do. But as soon as it's just something you do, challenge yourself again with the next small thing to make a change on um, so that your brain doesn't get complacent and just stop working on your goal but it's just one thing at a time until it becomes easy mm-hmm. and something might come, become easy for you in a week but might take me three months Right. that's fine
0: yeah Yeah, and yeah. kind of realizing that those changes I mean they take time too Because yeah. um, I mean I always look at it as like building muscle it takes a way longer time to build muscle than it does to lose muscle. Yeah. And so oh my gosh, right. Yeah. I mean, I feel like anything that's actually productive long term is gonna take a little bit of groundwork. Yeah. And and some consistency to Right. make it happen.
1: Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah, half it's the hardest thing. Because I think half of this half of this battle is like I said earlier, easing your brain into new routines. Um because your brain is wired to keep you alive. And whatever you're doing right now, it's happy because you're living. Right. Like You could have really, really unhealthy habits, but your brain is satisfied because you're alive. That's its job. Right. So if you start making changes, it starts panicking. And because it's changed, so maybe you're, you're not going to live through that change. And it, it does everything it can to bring you back to your normal. Right. And
0: so. Yeah, that's such an interesting thing because like, Basically, our brain wants us to live and it doesn't care how? about how <laughs> or our, what we want or what I don't even know what you describe, what the ego wants us to be like. Or, uh, it's the different
1: parts of our brain, like our, our frontal brain that's all logical and like is in our like really advanced life. That's where our goals are set and we want yeah. to be healthy and whatever our goals are. But our limbic system, that's the part that wants to keep us alive. And that's all reflex and, ha- and habit lives there, right. right? And emergency lives there. So, like, if a lion starts chasing me across the desert, my limbic system picks in, and it picks up and I have my emergency response where I, all the blood goes to my brain and my muscles so I can run and I can think and I can see long distance and I can hopefully save myself. Right. So your brain perceives change as emergency, and that limbic system kicks in, which turns off the front, where all the logical thought is that we want to access.
0: Right. What about? um, What do you think? Like the sympathetic parasympathetic comes into play with, the potentially with like the mood swings and the craving for sugar and this state of like the almost this Mm -hmm. like you're living in this hyper state. All the time. Mm-hmm. So you're never really actually relaxing and you're never actually working really hard. Instead, mm-hmm. you're in the, like this weird zone. Yeah. Right? With all the technology and all that stuff, potentially. Yeah, right. I don't know. Have you thought much about that or like how that plays into. I mean, I know it plays in like the, just the hormonal level. Yeah. Um, and but.
1: How it plays into what? I'm sorry. Well, like
0: it, potentially like your cortisol. Mm-hmm. All that stuff and all that has to do, you know, what, how your body's stored, yeah. where it's stored, what it's storing, right? What's being used, what's not being used. Yeah. And so, I mean, again, I, I feel like it's so complex and tied in and it's hard to know. But I feel like that has a lot to play with being able to shift yeah. states and and that, again, the metabolic flex, flexibility idea yeah. of like, I can burn fats here where I need to with this lower intensity long duration duration, like most of what life should be yeah but if I'm getting fired up on YouTube yeah and and staring at the computer but not actually doing anything now I'm storing yeah I'm gonna be storing I'm shifting into this like burning of other fuels Mm -hmm. that shouldn't be burned there yeah right because I'm amped up and I'm pissed off and I (laughs) want to comment (laughs) or I am or now (laughs) I've been in like this four hour war you're right right yeah um it's, I don't know, it's fascinating and it's mm-hmm. it's definitely different than it used to be. I mean, mm-hmm. I still was at, like, had dial-up phones to reach my friends, right? Like the, oh, the old... Yep. And if they were out playing and my parents weren't comfortable with me just leaving to go find them, I didn't get to go play. Now mm-hmm. you're like, somebody doesn't text you back in a minute, you're like, what's going on?
1: Right. Yeah, so... <clears throat> So one hormone that, that comes from stress is, is cortisol, like you just said, and cortisol is a hormone that comes from your adrenal glands. So we, I think associate adrenal glands with stress, like fight or flight, that limbic part of the brain that I was just saying. And, um, but cortisol, interestingly to me, it was, it, it, it fluctuates through the day. So it's lowest as you go to sleep and it's highest as you wake up. And it just has this natural rhythm of release. Um, However, when you're stressed, its release goes up and when there's cortisol, you store. Um, you store as you store more sugar as fat. And so I, when I work with clients I'm like the worst time to be stressed is when you sit down to eat. Like if you are um, you know driving in the car and you're honking at people and you're stressed because you're late and you got your kids screaming in the back of the car and you're trying to eat your lunch, like you are releasing more cortisol and storing more of that lunch. Then if you sat quietly, took 10 deep breaths before you ate, you're kind of tricking your system out of stress and mm-hmm. into relaxation, eat your meal, then go get in the car. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah it's, there's um, <clears throat> a guy I've listened to quite a bit. He talks a lot about this stuff and he's actually bringing, and we won't get into it, but he's actually trying to make connections between lactate, either burned or not burned, and depression, anxiety. And like, oh, wow. yeah, it's super fascinating. And I'm nowhere near qualified to talk about any of it, but it's very interesting.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, but it was also the same with food, right? You want to be um, parasympathetic and eat, right? Relax yes. so you can rest and digest, right? right? Yeah. And then fight or flight is hopefully not a whole lot of flight, but fight, right? Is yeah. where we kind of want to be when we train. Mm-hmm. And of course, depending a little bit on how, what your goals are with the training. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, and you want to be able to just like you could Switch from burning fats and sugars and, you know, having them match up with the type of activity you're doing. You want to be able to have a um, central nervous system that's able to move freely between these things as well. Because mm-hmm. when you are stuck in, like, the gray area, it's, it's it, you're like burning the candle at both ends, kind yes. of. Yes. Right? You're never really getting all the, the quality you could get from the, the rest and digest state, but you're never getting all the quality you could get from the fight or fly state either. Right. You're just kind of in this middle ground that right. kind of, I don't know.
1: It's like training in the middle of the ground, you know? Yeah, you, totally. You don't get the, you don't train hard when you should and you don't relax. Yeah,
0: <laughs> that's, uh, um. Um, yeah, I love that one. Because, like, it is such a thing of um, you, you work, you're you working out hard enough that you feel like you worked out, but you're not really working out hard enough to get the adaptations that you're looking for. Yeah. and And then you're never really not working out hard enough to get the adaptations from not working out hard enough.
1: Right, the rest, that you yeah. need to go work out hard when you're ready
0: to. Yeah, it. exactly. Yeah.
1: yeah, but that um, sympathetic and parasympathetic, parasympathetic is also called rest and digest, right? And during that time, um, most of your blood goes to your digestive system. This is why your mom told you, well, my grandma wasn't supposed to swim when after, after she, she yeah. ate. I don't think we do that anymore, but... That's the reason behind it. Like our blood is in our gut, not in our muscles or, or our brain at that point. That's why we might feel tired after a meal and just kind of lay down to digest. And sympathetic is fight or flight, emergency state. And um, and I've read a lot of stuff. Actually, have you maybe you've read this too? Like um, endurance exercise or high intensity exercise turns sympathetic the side on. And I've read that that was kind of a, neg- a negative which I never really wrapped my head around. I'm like, well, then why is it so beneficial for us to do it all the time? Like, why do we right. get all these other great things? And more recently I've read that um, exactly what you're saying. If we can turn, like the sympathetic side will amp up our heart and our respiratory rate and blood flow to muscle and all that. So that's what we need when we're working out. And that's not a bad thing. Right. Um, we just need to make sure to relax afterward to turn that all that stuff
0: off. So right, just because then you can get the benefit from doing that yeah yeah that was one of the things that i found hard to wrap my head around in the beginning with the nose breathing (laughs) because i was like Mm -hmm. if we're trying to get into this sympathetic state why am i trying to basically repress myself Mm -hmm. and stay in the but it's it's not like like you're almost just staying in the lower end of the sympathetic state right so you're just training a zone instead of
1: you are trying to get your body to be able to do more at the parasympathetic state Right Right. Like right now, maybe all I can do is lay down and nose breathe, and like I can't even walk down the street, right. without turning my sympathetic side on. But you guys make us go right to the brink of, of breathing mouth breathing. <laughs> and by doing that, you're increasing your body's capacity to work in the parasympathetic. Right. Yeah.
0: Right. And then by also, on the flip side, making yourself stay with the nasal breathing and, and working, you're also kind of broadening your. Parasympathetic range. Exactly. Potentially. That's right. Um, yeah. That was so, my take on your nose breathing that's stuff. That's Yeah. <laughs> well, and I was like, it was, because I couldn't wrap my head around it in the beginning. I'm like, it's like counterintuitive. I'm sitting here like, okay, we're here to work out and go hard. So why am I <laughs> limiting do? my capacity by yeah. how I'm breathing? Right. It doesn't make any sense. <laughs> um, anyways, I finally got there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So... Um, how can people reach you?
1: Oh, um, you can find me online if you Google me, which I didn't know, but now I do. And also through you guys, I'm here at the gym.
0: Yeah. Awesome. Cause I truly believe that, uh, especially nutrition. If you know, you find somebody you connect with it. Um, it just definitely makes the process. Yeah. It can make the process much better, much easier. Great. Um, so if anybody's out there listening, look up Google Cynthia Clawson <laughs> <laughs> and, um, Yeah, thanks for coming and love to do it again sometime.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me.